Hi everyone, this is Aaron Larson, Executive Editor of Power Magazine, and you are listening to The Power Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Clint Vince. Clint is a partner with Denton's, which is a global legal practice that provides client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. And Clint is the chair of Denton's U.S. energy practice and co-chair of Denton's global energy sector. So Clint, thanks for agreeing to speak with me. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to join you today. I understand uh, that you are heavily involved in developing Denton's Smart Cities and Connected Communities Initiative and Think Tank. Can you tell listeners what that is and and why it's important? Well, yes, we have been uh, deeply involved with cities and communities around the country and around the world for decades. And my initial introduction in the smart cities concepts was really uh, through grid modernization for cities, uh, but we quickly realized that the smart cities approach requires integration with many other sectors and subject areas. So about four years ago, I created the uh, Denton's Smart Cities and Connected Communities Think Tank. We took the focus a little bit beyond uh, sort of the tech company's original definition, and we focus on, we feel a smart city basically is about modernizing infrastructure in addition to harnessing technology. So we focus on modernizing digital infrastructure, physical and social infrastructure and integrating them on a um, innovative and um, exciting and equitable basis for a community. What are some communities maybe that you're working in? Are there specific cities that have uh, partnered with you or, or how do you go about getting this technology into the system? Well, we deal, for example, with the city of San Antonio and uh, particularly with CPS Energy, which is an award-winning municipally owned electric and gas system. It's the largest uh, electric and gas system that is city-owned in the United States. And we have worked with them on everything from um, developing, helping to develop uh, innovation zones, helping to modernize their grid, identifying dark fiber in their networks to be used for advanced telecommunications. Uh, We've worked with them on their cyber related issues, uh, helping them team with the joint military base in San Antonio, which is the largest in the United States. And they are, through that effort, they're also teamed with the Department of Defense and Department of Energy on doing model uh, cyber security planning and preparedness. And um, CPS also has done a huge amount on uh, renewables um, moving forward um, as a leader on renewables and also with respect to uh, energy efficiency. So we would identify them as a real uh, rising star in uh, the smart cities area. We have a number of other cities and power clients we're working with in this area as well. I'd be happy to discuss them as we go along. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And it it seems, you know, when I think of a law firm, I don't think of them working with utilities to do this sort of thing. Is that kind of unique? I think that 
our approach to smart cities is unique. I don't know of any other law firm with a uh, think tank. We have 16 pillars in our think tank, so we've really pulled in every major sector in the law firm from uh, cyber to transportation, communications, intellectual property, uh, and so on. And we have now more than 500 thought leaders from around the globe. So it's really taken on and um, we are trying to uh, communicate back and forth best practices in all different regions. So, Mm. you know, our clients like it when we focus not just on legal issues, but on business and policy issues and try to integrate all of those together. Yeah, it's really an interesting concept and certainly seems innovative to me. So now another thing that I know Denton's has done is you have a a virtual summit that you held this year. It was the third annual Smart Cities and Communities Summit. I assume it's probably been in person in the past, but this time it was virtually in July. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the takeaways from that event? I'd be happy to. We, you know, we love meeting in person, but we were very pleased with the way the virtual uh, sort of series of webinars worked, and we were able to bring in people from around the country and globally as we have in the past. We just needed to really condense it. So I mentioned CPS Energy. We had their CEO, who is the only female African-American CEO of any utility in the United States. She joined me for a fireside chat to talk initially about social equity issues, and then we broadened and really talked about the groundbreaking work that uh, CPS is doing, which I just outlined. We had the uh, head of Anterex, the founder, who uh, before that was the founder of Nextel and was the visionary who brought um, the first... uh, wireless LTE broadband network to the United States and um, later sold uh, Nextel to Sprint, doing enormously well with that. But Mm. he created Anterix, which uh, just received in May a a landmark decision from the Federal Communications Commission to make uh, 900 megahertz spectrum available to the utility industry and other critical infrastructure uh, players. And so with Santerix, we're building the first spectrum networks for utilities around the country. And that's a very exciting example of innovation plus the confluence of uh, advanced telecommunications coming into the energy industry. Uh, we also had the head of the New York Power Authority, Gil Quinones, and his general counsel, Justin Driscoll, they talked about becoming the first uh, digital uh, utility, end-to-end digital utility in the United States, where they're taking uh, uh, virtual digital twins of all their major facilities and the major facilities of their key customers. And um, it's probably the most dramatic example of, um, of the digital revolution coming uh, to the power industry, the utility industry that that we have seen. We had a number of other really gifted CEOs and heads of NGOs and other industry leaders who were generous enough to spend their time with us. We felt there were 
really three or four key issues that came out of it. First is just how much on the front lines U.S. cities and communities are and communities around the world. We've, we've had the three C's of uh, 2020, which we list as COVID, climate, and cyber. And then layered on top of that, economic disruption and, of course, um, social unrest from Kenosha and Minneapolis uh, to Hong Kong. So that was really a major portion of our discussion, dealing with each of those issues. Uh, A second pretty critical and urgent issue that came out of the summit was that uh, cities and communities need to stop being surprised by crises and instead really being uh, spend an intense amount of time on preparedness. We know now that we are um, going to be facing climate-related issues of turbulent weather, forest fires like you've seen in California and beyond, drought, sea level rise, cyber intrusion really occurring all over the country and all over the world. And uh, so our premise is that instead of being surprised by pandemics and crises, we should really have intense preparation for those contingencies and game plans for crises that, that really will be coming. It's very predictable. The third points I think that came out of the summit, and I tried to reduce them to single words, were resilience sustainability, innovation, and equity. And um, those were four really key concepts. We had some great discussion around each of those words, and I feel they're kind of the key words for the next decade and and uh, well beyond that. No, it, it sounds like uh, you really had some great speakers in the lineup there and, and really covered a lot of important information. And and I'm glad to hear that the virtual format seemed to work well for you because Power is actually hosting our own online event uh, here at the end of the month starting on September 28th. It's called Experience Power. And so we'll be holding sessions uh, in a similar way. And so do you feel that people got a lot out of the sessions and, and had a good interaction even though it was done online? We got some wonderful feedback. And I look forward to tuning in to your your conference, your virtual conference, and uh, learning from you folks as well. Every time we do one of these summits, and uh, I believe this was our third, I just learn a tremendous amount from each panel. We got the feedback we got was that the um, the speakers were exceptional and the subjects were informative for people. They were hearing things that they didn't already know. And also, even though it's so much better to network in person, it did provide an opportunity for people to network. And I know a lot of our clients have followed up with each other and uh, and our audience um, has followed up with the uh, keynote speakers and other panelists in a good way. So I've gotten really, really good feedback. It was daunting moving from uh, from a traditional uh, physical meeting into a um, 
virtual meeting. The, the key thing we did was to shorten all of our meetings because we didn't want people sort of being, uh, the, I think the expression now is zoomed out uh, from too much time before the screen. So we took what would have been full, full day panels and turned them into mostly uh, two and a half hour webinars with starting with keynotes and then uh, going into an hour to an hour and a half panel discussion with industry leaders. No, I think that's a good point. I'm sure it does uh, get to be a lot of time in front of the screen, and, and I can imagine getting zoomed out, but that's interesting, and I'm glad you got good feedback from it. You work with a lot of companies, I'm sure, from all over the country. You already mentioned San Antonio and uh, how they have been kind of leading the way forward. Are there other projects about or smart city projects that you can talk about and, and how you uh, are seeing them move forward? Well, I, yes, we represent the New Orleans uh, City Council, which is the equivalent of a state-level regulator for their local utilities. They're, they are so dedicated to the smart cities concept that they've actually created a standing committee on their council uh, called Smart and Sustainable Cities. And they have, you know, addressed everything from uh, data sharing and privacy issues that are pretty essential for a city to and community to address up front to issues of grid modernization and acceleration of investment in um, renewables and also expanded investment in energy efficiency. And they have also really focused on what I think is a critical issue, not just for metropolises like New Orleans and San Antonio, but also for uh, rural communities. And that is to get ubiquitous uh, internet as soon as possible. So New Orleans is moving out very quickly on that. We actually introduced them to our colleagues in San Antonio. Both communities have substantial portion of the population that doesn't have consistent opportunity access to internet. And both communities have made that really an extremely urgent priority to uh, address, especially now that so many people are working remotely and also children are now, so many are being educated remotely. So it's it's really got to be addressed quickly. Mm-hmm. And so we were excited by the developments on that issue in both communities. One other really kind of a surprise uh, and wonderful speaker was uh, another client of ours, the CEO of uh, Tri-State, which is a four-state electric cooperative generation and transmission uh, organization out in the West. They have made a decision to sort of be the leader in the electric cooperative movement in a couple of areas. One, they created a green energy program, so they are deactivating all of their coal-fired generation on a really accelerated time frame, and their uh, plan is to have 50% renewables by 2024 and 70% decarbonization by 2030 under really dynamic leadership from a fellow named Dwayne Kiley, who is their CEO. They're also very active on the subject of rural broadband. They feel that the electric cooperative model, which brought electricity to rural America, 
is is a perfect model to also add on the responsibility of bringing broadband to uh, rural America. They have the organizational structure and financing structure. And so I think you're going to see some bipartisan legislation coming out of Congress pretty quickly on that issue and a lot of development around that uh, theme. It does seem as if that would be a great way to to get broadband out into these rural communities. I know I'm actually from a very small town up in Minnesota, and that's how uh, our local phone company, which was kind of a cooperative, also ran the uh, the broadband out. But it it would work just as easily or just as well from a electric cooperative. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah, and there's some great public power systems and electric cooperatives up in um, Minnesota, and also uh, some of the best canoeing that I've ever done in my life up in the Boundary Waters region in uh, Minnesota. I definitely, I love my, uh, I love my Minnesota. Thinking about some of the, I, I know you've touched on a lot of interesting technology that's already being utilized in many of these uh, cities, but is there anything new that you can think of coming down the pipeline that, that could be game-changing for these smart city projects? I think the um, innovation of Anterix in terms of bringing spectrum to utilities across the country in terms of private LTE networks is a, is a sort of a breakthrough development because it will help tremendously with cyber security, it will give them independence and much better opportunity to protect their systems. And also, you know, we see the wildfires starting back with PG&E in California. And Anterix has an application. They're able to move data and communications so quickly on the spectrum network that they have an application where they can deactivate an electric line that that breaks and falls to the ground. They can deactivate it before the line hits the ground. Uh, The communication is that fast and the application is that effective. So that was one technology that would really solve two really critical needs in this country. One is uh, to have utilities not contribute to forest fires in in, uh, drought-prone areas. The other is to really allow utilities to have much, much greater protection against cyber intrusion, which is an increasing uh, threat. Uh, CPS Energy in San Antonio gets uh, about 2.5 million hits on their firewall now a day. It's hard to believe. With the tension with Iran, those have uh, the number of hits that they received increased uh, hugely over the past year. Another really fascinating technology is being developed by our client NetPower. Their partner investors are uh, Oxy Petroleum, Exelon, the major multi-state utility, McDermott, which acquired the old uh, Chicago Bridge and Iron, major uh, EPC organization, and a um, investment fund called Eight Rivers. And they have a technology that uses something called the alum process to remove carbon dioxide and other pollutants from gas-fired generation. So we're trying to bring that up to a commercial phase right now. They've had a demonstration project, and 
I think that would be another breakthrough for the industry to be able to use gas-fired generation to back up renewables and other energy efficiency and low deep decarbonization measures. To be able to have that available would solve some very big problems. You can imagine now not only California having the um, forest fires, but also having rolling blackouts because of um, the lack of enough reliable uh, power to back up the system when uh, the solar power starts to uh, decline at the end of the day, the availability of it. If we could have uh, gas-fired generation that does not pollute, I think that answers a, a gigantic need across this country and certainly globally as well. So that's a very exciting new technology. And um, we were, uh, we've been very active with net power. And, and uh, I think that will be, I think their technology will be developed and will thrive. And I think it is important, just as you said, to, to have that generation available and gas-fired. I mean, U.S. has more gas than they know what to do with. So being able to utilize it in an environmentally responsible way makes a lot of sense. At the top of the show, we talked that, you know, Denton's is a global uh, law firm. And, and so I suppose you have people working in other countries. Do you see other countries doing smart cities uh, and implementing smart city technology better or worse or faster or slower than the U.S.? Uh, what can you talk about about that around other countries? Well, it's a whole broad spectrum, but I, I think there are some phenomenal uh, smart cities approaches that are being developed right now around the world. And I, I think... Um, some of the cities are really well ahead of the United States and can provide, you know, can be good role models for us. And it's also helpful to see, you know, what's working, what's not working um, as innovation develops. But we have a major office in Singapore. I would, I think Singapore often is singled out as sort of the lead smart city in the world. And they are, they really are uh, extremely advanced. I think they put in more than a billion dollars into their smart cities approach in 2019 alone. You know, their response to the pandemic was pretty much a model for the rest of the world, not just in terms of some of their policies for limiting exposure, but also their testing and tracing policies. They've got, you know, very high speed internet um, that is ubiquitous. Uh, they really, uh, they've got online voting down. They have an online system where uh, any citizen can report into the city for uh, maintenance repairs that are needed. Uh, they have already Got, I would say they're beyond pilot projects. They have they are using autonomous vehicles in portions of their city very very effectively. They have a government uh, technology agency, which is um, allowing them to be one of the leaders on sensor technology and integration with the Internet of Things. So they're they are of a scale and and. Um, 
economic dimension that that they can really teach a lot of other cities some impressive things. I also like Amsterdam tremendously for uh, not just for what they're doing in terms of technology. They have the fastest internet in um, in the EU, but also some of the other uh, things they've done in terms of social infrastructure, which we feel is just as important as uh, modernizing uh, digital and physical infrastructure. In fact, social infrastructure is lagging behind technology, which has developed so quickly. We have a major office in Amsterdam. If you've been there, you know, nearly all of the population rides bikes, which uh, allows them to be healthier and also reduces uh, pollution tremendously and um, congestion. They're, they're doing many, many other things. They have a circular economy in Amsterdam. They have uh, also dedicated a tremendous amount of effort on their physical infrastructure because uh, like New Orleans here in the United States, they are below sea level. So, uh, but they're pumping systems and, uh, and protection, uh, seawalls, et cetera, are really the most sophisticated in the world. And of course, with, uh, with climate coming, um, we're going to need to expect sea level rise. And so we can look to, uh, Amsterdam, I think for, uh, for a lot of inspiration and information. I know uh, I mentioned I've represented the city of New Orleans when they had flooding in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina when their levees were breached. Uh, We initially thought it would take about six months to pump the brackish water out of the uh, city, but um, vessels arrived from Amsterdam and uh, from the Netherlands and with special uh, pumps that they use there, and they pumped the city out within about six weeks. It, it was uh, a real miracle and uh, something that I don't think has been widely reported, but really, really helped save that city and help them in their uh, restoration efforts. Hmm. And London, I think, you know, London has done some good stuff on transit and um, transportation uh, internally that uh, that's worth taking a look at too it's uh, inspiring as you said to to know that some of these uh, communities can provide insight and you know lessons learned to our own uh, cities that can then kind of capitalize on that knowledge so that's that's great is there anything else that uh, you'd like to talk about before we wrap this up Aaron, I th- thank you for being so so patient listening to me today. I think the um, critical thing for cities now is going to be funding and the development of social infrastructure. We we discussed at the beginning of our of this podcast the fact that cities are on the front lines for everything from COVID to uh, uh, cyber and and uh, social equity, all of these really essential issues, but their budgets are being slashed and uh, funding is going to be very, very tight for the next couple of years. So I I think one thing 
that our think tank is focusing on is how we can create funding mechanisms uh, such as public-private uh, partnerships and, and really develop the equivalent of many Marshall plans for our cities around the country so that we can fund their modernization of, uh, of infrastructure. Again, digital, physical, and social infrastructure. I think that's really the highest priority together with uh, preparing for more crises, which we now know, unfortunately, will be the new normal. Yeah, definitely seems like it. You know, it's it's tough to see the hurricanes and and flooding that you get along with that, and the wildfires out west, and all of the other uh, things that are going on. I, I guess it's something we really need to be ready to deal with in the long term. Yes, we'll, we'll need some great leadership. Yeah. All right. Well, Clint, thank you so much. I think. Uh, you talk about me being patient. I'm very thankful that you were willing to donate your time and, and take the time to, to talk to us and provide a lot of really great information. So thank you. Hopefully we'll meet again sometime down the road, in person maybe, at a, at one of these events. Thank you, Aaron. I, I would love that.